the awesome thing with mindfulness is that it lets you sit with those deepest fears that you have about yourself and you say to yourself, even if this is true, even if my worst fear about myself is true, what happens if I experiment with letting it go? I'm Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. Many of you already know Jackson McKenzie from his first book, Psychopath Free, which I highly recommend to help you understand the patterns of narcissistic abuse. There really isn't a better book out there on the topic. Today, I want to talk about Jackson McKenzie's new book, Whole Again, Healing Your Heart and Rediscovering Your True Self. It came out in January of 2019, and I read it last month during a two-day trip, I read his first book in about two days as well. I could not put them down. Jackson's new book is on the healing process after toxic relationships and emotional abuse. I loved the message of this book. It's all about reconnecting with your true self by facing the wound. He emphasizes the importance of understanding that you can't think your way into healing. The only way to do this is by reintegrating yourself into human wholeness which is based on the reconnection of body, mind, spirit. This topic is very close to my heart, as I come from very similar perspectives on the holistic healing process. Jackson describes how the trauma of abuse causes a fractured union of our holistic being. Through this disconnection, we develop a false shame. We become separated from our true self and unconditional love. As a result of this disconnection, we develop a false self or a protective self whose purpose is control and avoidance of the painful wound. This protective self seeks external validation for proof of its worthiness. This is the perspective of separation. It convinces us that nothing is wrong with us and we figured it all out. This is something I notice among a lot of victims who are still in stage one of the recovery. They often think that because they figured out what a narcissist, psychopath, etc. is, and they went no contact, they're good. They're healed. They rationalize that the problem is just the abusers, the manipulators, something external. This way of convincing yourself that the problem is external will keep you seeking external measures of your worth. That illusion will block your healing and land you in more abusive relationships because you'll be repeating the same toxic patterns. The abusers who show up will simply be more covert. You'll continue to say things like, I'm an empath and they just want our light and love. And as true as that might be, nothing will change. The wound will continue to eat you alive from the inside out. Until you address the core wound caused by the abuse and transform your own patterns, you'll continually seek the solution in external things and people. Jackson mentions how you might even seek healing in spirituality, religion, and other healing modalities that feed your protective self, and so those methods will fail you in your recovery. I've also seen that happen in comments on social media where people will write things like, just give it to God. Or, you just need to accept Jesus in your heart. Or, you just need to do EMDR. Jackson writes that the only way to diminish the protective self is to stop feeding it. 
So how do we feed the protective self? It's when we seek our worth in external things. We might do that behavior through things like perfectionism, people-pleasing, substance abuse and other addictions, caretaking, overachieving, workaholism, making money, social media validation, perfecting your appearance, attention-seeking, sympathy-seeking, approval and validation-seeking, being overly nice, analyzing people and the self, obsessing about people who hurt us, exposing people who hurt us, stalking, cyber-stalking, drive-bys, sex, porn, overeating, undereating, fantasies, daydreaming, rescuing others, creating drama, moving constantly, reckless behaviors, etc. If you want to get in touch with your protective self, the first thing you need to do is start looking for your patterns to seek things externally and to compulsively do things that distract you from the pain of your wound. So ask yourself, how are you seeking the solution externally? Did any of the things on that list sound familiar? Write those down and become more aware and mindful of the choices that you make to do those things instead of being present with your pain. Jackson agrees with a lot of us that you have to feel it to heal it, and we need to get comfortable with the discomfort, or as I've heard yoga teachers say, lean into the discomfort. We can't heal it by thinking, analyzing, or realizing new concepts, though none of those things are necessarily bad. It's just one layer of the process. Now, don't blame yourself for not wanting to feel the feels. It's not pleasant, and none of us really wanted to feel that pain. When we are living unconsciously, we seek pleasure and try to avoid pain. This keeps us stuck in denial and hedonism, which is a constant distraction from what's really going on. How can you let yourself feel the pain more? You need to find ways to cut out the distractions and let yourself be. The Taoists have a concept called Wu Wei, which means no doing or without exertion. A modern concept of that no doing would mean taking time to unplug from all your devices, chats, calls, social media, etc. To take some time to just sit with yourself and practice mindfulness, which is simply about observing yourself in the present moment without judgment. It would be to observe yourself in your interactions with the world without trying to control things outside of yourself. This skill of no doing also requires the courage to have self-honesty. The whole journey to self-love begins with self-honesty, actually. Jackson writes about how trauma recovery, as it tends to be approached, becomes more about symptom management than the root cause resolution. He makes the analogy of putting out buckets to collect the leaking rainwater in your house. You can keep changing and emptying those buckets, but the water just keeps coming. That's a lot of doing and no resolving. He writes, this is the nature of trauma. It keeps you distracted with bucket management, so you never have a chance to look up at the hole in the roof. Boom. That is so true. 
It's also the problem with Western medicine, whose focus is on symptoms and seeing the human body as separate from the rest of the being. They lose the forest for the trees. Sometimes the same thing happens in traditional therapy. In my opinion, the best therapists are those who have a holistic perspective of human life and are able to help their patients go beyond just the analysis of the mind and talking about things. In stage one of the recovery, there are so many intense symptoms that symptom management is necessary at first because of the overwhelm and complete dysfunction. It's in stage two that we dig deeper into these core wounds and patterns. Stage one is like triage, when you go to the emergency room because you're just gushing blood all over the place, and stage two is like internal medicine because you're now surviving and you feel safe enough to dig deeper into the underlying issues. If you've experienced the numbness characteristic of complex PTSD, you can relate to feeling like you just can't feel. That's due to the intense and overwhelming nature of trauma that your protective self locked away from you because it was too much to deal with. That will happen when you're living in an abusive, toxic environment. You really can't heal in an environment like that. You first need to get yourself to safety and have the proper boundaries in place in order to protect your healing process. Everything before that point is like running on the gerbil wheel, expending lots of energy, feeling exhausted, and seeing very little results. You can start to overcome the numbness and feelings of emptiness by letting yourself start to really feel yourself, your emotions, your pain, in order to become whole again. If you want some guided help on reconnecting your body, mind, and spirit, check out my Psychosomatic Awareness and Integration Guided Meditation. It's available on the website. I highly recommend practicing that over and over again to help train yourself to reconnect with your pain and the messages that your inner being is trying to send you. If you're still in that stage of numbness, this meditation could really help you to get in touch with yourself. Jackson and I agree that there is no quick fix to this. It requires consistent dedication and daily commitment to your recovery practice. It can take months or likely years, especially if these wounds began in childhood traumas for you. Be patient with the process and understand that it's not a race to the finish line. Get comfortable with appreciating the journey. Let yourself see the beauty in that journey and you will feel an increased desire to keep going when the going gets tough. I love that Jackson wrote that anyone can become whole again, no matter how broken you feel right now. He writes about unconditional love being the state we are in when we are whole again. To quote him, Unconditional love is simply the part of ourselves that nurtures us for no logical reason. It is who you truly are. Later in the book he writes, it's not a search for love, but rather a release of things inside that block us from love. Those blockages, by the way, are the wounds and resistance to letting ourselves feel the pain of the wounds. 
I believe that all dis-ease in life is caused by a separation and that states of connection are where the healing takes place because in that state of connection, we discover our true selves. Personally, I found transpersonal experiences, as Carl Jung called them, to be the moments where my healing has catapulted forward. In my book, The Journey, I suggest to the reader to find ways that help you get into those states of connection. You might find this through psychedelic medicine, horseback riding, surfing, running, laying in the grass under a tree, hiking, watching the clouds float by, using flotation tanks and sensory deprivation, swimming, massage, acupuncture, hypnosis, eye-gazing, dancing, etc. We are all unique, so figure out what works best for you to slide into states of connection. One thing is for sure, you can't get there by forcing it. It's more like allowing it and getting out of your own way so it can happen spontaneously. The more we seek spiritual experiences, the more they elude us. The activity you choose to get yourself into the state of connection is really just something that gets your ego or protective self to sit down and let you experience your true self. That's why it doesn't matter how you get there. Of course, the ego protective self often goes kicking and screaming trying to avoid this very process because when it loses control, it senses annihilation. So when you notice you're feeling driven towards self-sabotage patterns, recognize that's just your ego or protective self not wanting to let go of control. My teacher in Peru, Don Americo, used to take us on vigorous hikes high in the Andes Mountains. When you're at the high altitude, it's harder to breathe, you're really exhausted. He would exhaust us before we did the spiritual work. This was his way of getting the ego's defense mechanisms exhausted so they couldn't fight. I can't tell you what the magic prescription is for you to get into the healing states of connection with your true self. But hopefully these ideas and the concepts in Jackson's book will help you get started experimenting to see what works best for you. I had the pleasure of interviewing Jackson in December, right before his new book came out. And in case you haven't heard that interview on YouTube or you want to listen again, stay tuned now as Jackson and I discuss the emotional pain caused by abuse how that leads us to repetitive, unhealthy patterns in an attempt to avoid it, and what you can do about it now. Today, I have a special guest with us. This is Jackson McKenzie, the author of Psychopath Free. So if you've been following me for a while, you know that I recommend his book all the time, especially when you're in stage one. It is a must read for stage one to truly understand the patterns of narcissistic abuse. He's really dissected and analyzed those so well. Every person that I've told to read that book has said that it just explained their relationship exactly, like every single page was hitting the nail on the head. So today, Jackson and I are going to talk about the healing process. Jackson has a new book coming out soon in January in about a month and we're going to talk a little bit about, about that as well. But we're going to talk today about the emotional pain that gets left after the abuse and that pain tends to take on the shape of loneliness, rejection, abandonment, betrayal. So I would love to read a little paragraph from one of Jackson's articles on his website Psychopath Free. If you guys haven't seen that yet, definitely check that out. There's loads of articles and content 
something on there. But I want to read this little paragraph because it's so important. He says, life becomes about avoiding rejection and abandonment, which only leads to more of it. Because the only people who make you feel safe from rejection are people who have an extremely low barrier to entry. The people who idealize you, flatter you, attach quickly, obsess over you, immediately desire you, praise you above all others, the people who quote-unquote love you when they do not even know who you are. These people detach just as quickly as they attach, so inevitably the rejection cycle repeats itself and confirms the inner shame. I would love for you to comment on that a little bit. I think that's so fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for having me, Meredith. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I think one of the things that we see that happens a long time after the abuse has already occurred is someone can recognize the red flags and the symptoms and all of the behaviors of someone who might be toxic or uh, manipulative, but they tend to find that sometimes those patterns just keep repeating themselves. Um, And for some people, the first instance may have been the toxic relationship. For other people, it may have been all the way back to childhood. But a lot of times, these things keep happening. And uh, no matter how many of the red flags we see and how prepared we think we are, um, we find ourselves bringing on more of these people where it tends to just lead to unfulfillment and unhappiness um, every single time. And we wonder, like, why does this keep happening? Why am I still hurting? I thought I learned everything I needed to know, and it's been so long since this bad thing happened. And um, that's really where a lot of that talk around emotional wounding comes into place, because those are the things that can live inside us for a really long time and sort of drive those patterns that keep repeating themselves. And I think it's so important when we see a pattern that keeps happening, that we don't take that as like, oh, why me? The world is unfair. I'm being attacked. And more look at it like there's something going on here. And is, is this something that I can that I can learn from? Right. So I love how you talked about how when we have this wound, for example, of rejection, it's like the people that come into our lives seem to be just the opposite of that, right? And it's like, oh, thank God, finally. You know, or if it's if it's loneliness, what I find is the people that we attract, it's like they finally hear us or they finally see us because that loneliness isn't about being alone. It's about feeling so isolated in your reality paradigm that no one else can see reality like you. Like maybe you have a parent who's one of these characters. And so they're like a monster at home to you and your siblings, but then out in public, they're this wonderful person. And so you just feel so lonely, like nobody gets you, nobody hears you, nobody sees your suffering. And so then you end up attracting someone who comes in and it seems like they're so attentive and they want to hear you, but really they're just, you know, deciphering this information, interviewing you, using that against you and going to make you feel even more lonely before it's all over. Exactly. And that's such a perfect example with those loneliness wounds of the types of people that tend to come into your life. And you can see it really with all these types of toxic relationships. The um, With narcissists, uh, the big one that you see all the time is someone who just gives you like 24-7 attention and they want the 24-7 attention too. It's sort of like this back and forth arrangement. And you also see it with other disorders in the cluster B realm. A lot of times you'll see someone come along who seems like they're looking for the knight in shining armor and that you're going to be the one who helps them from all the horrible things that they've gone through and that they've suffered from, and you're so much better than all their crazy exes. And again, it does that same thing that kind of plays on that sympathy heaviness going on inside. And there's a part of that that just says, if this person needs me so much and they think so highly of me compared to all these other people, then I'm safe from rejection because I'm, I'm their hero. I'm, I'm helping them. And no one else would help them. And inevitably, as you know, those, those don't end well. So that, because 
those are the kinds of things that really need to be worked out with usually more of a professional. Right, right. Like I love how you were talking about how these people who attach so quickly will detach just as quickly. And I think that's a huge warning sign for us moving forward is to always be aware of that and notice when someone seems to be attaching so quickly or loving you when they don't even know you because that's going to end up getting people into multiple relationships like this it's going to compound the ptsd every single time it's not like one relationship plus one relationship it's like the exponential factor in mathematics it just makes it so much bigger so much quicker and you end up needing so much more professional help afterwards exactly and you think you know as these things happen because it seems like they really latch on to and they really like you specifically. But like you said, it's an interview and they're kind of regurgitating who you are. And so those that quick attachment, it can happen with anyone. And that's the, the thing that kind of takes a while to absorb is that it has nothing to do with you, even though it feels so personal and it feels so tailored to who you are. If they do that with you so quickly, they'll easily do it with anyone else because for them, it's not really about you. It's about making sure their needs and their voids are met. If we think about everyone kind of running around in circles and distracting themselves from their own wounds, not on purpose, you can see how sometimes these types of people just end up continuing to dance the same dance, and it's really frustrating. It is, because we end up doing that repetition compulsion where we're trying to work out the past wounds that we're still carrying with us, and so we keep attracting different faces different people. I think it's important not to blame people. It's not like it's a blame that we're retra- we're attracting them. It's like it just is attracted because that's the resonance that we're putting out. Like that's the wound that's going out there. So it attracts the compliment to that, which seems to be the rescuer to that, which ends up getting you in more trouble. Exactly. And your nail on the head is that it's not like a blaming the person who went through it. Like, oh, It takes two to tangle. You got yourself into that mess. I can't stand that stuff. It's more about, like, if someone harms another person, that is their 100% their own responsibility. It doesn't take two to make that happen. Where I really look for those patterns with people is identifying when their boundaries are crossed and when they've been hurt, what they do and how they start to build that self-love and self-respect and maybe what's living inside of them that says, maybe, oh, this is okay, or maybe I can tolerate this because I need that love, or I need to not feel lonely, or I need to not feel rejected. Because what I've found is as those wounds start to dissolve, there's no more of that deep, inherent longing and need, which means that relationships are more about freely giving this love that you have. It doesn't feel like a love that runs out or that is really limited or can only be offered to one person. And if it doesn't work out, then it's wasted. That to me is sort of that wounded love it's it's a much less dependent just a oh i have this love and i'd love to share it with you and if that person ever starts to mistreat you especially on a regular basis it's a really simple it doesn't take really that body resentment that starts to build up that was how i used to have boundaries was i would finally get so frustrated my body would get so like irritated and agitated that i would say enough enough is enough like why you're not allowed to do this this isn't okay And it would just be this like very uh, heavy, frustrated result. Whereas when when we feel lighter and we let those wounds go, it's not really anger or resentment. It's more of just like a very simple factual statement of, uh, you know, this is really not okay with me and and I'm, I'm not looking to pursue this further. And the difference there is the person still, there's no guarantee they're gonna react well. They'll probably react worse. And that's what you find is that when you have 
that self-respect and self-love is that relationship with a disordered person won't even work because they'll get so irritated that they're not able to get under your skin and that they're not able to exploit you. Exactly. You know, when you're talking about like the ease of setting those boundaries with people, like as they reveal themselves, that shows that growth of the self-worth because maybe in the past you would have kept tolerating and kept trying to work it out this person or kept trying to explain to them how their behavior affects you. But that's not what a person with high value does. That person walks away. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, it's nobody's perfect. You're guaranteed to have some conflicts and issues in a relationship. But you're so right that if you keep having the same discussion on repeat with another human, and they keep doing the same thing that hurts you, you start to move beyond the oh, it's this oblivious cute thing. And like, it's more like, if someone told me I was hurting them, and it was a simple thing to change you'd really quickly readjust because you don't want to hurt someone that you love. And so making that switch a lot sooner and a lot faster, it doesn't guarantee that you'll never encounter another kind of irritating or hurtful person. It just uh, it means that you disconnect and disengage a lot faster and that you don't waste your time trying to convince them of why your feelings are hurt or for God's sake, argue with someone while they're telling you that your feelings are wrong and that you right. shouldn't feel that way because it just doesn't do you any good. Right. And I think it's key for people to remember and keep reminding themselves like it's not their fault that they met someone like that. It's not their fault that a month into this relationship or meeting this person, suddenly they reveal themselves. Not your fault. What's awesome is that person revealed themselves. You see it. And then you start to move past that. Because I think that's tricky. I hear people often say, you know, victim shaming things like, well, you have a broken picker. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. Like this person presented themselves very differently for several weeks. And then they did that Exactly. And anyone, whether you are totally emotionally healthy or not, is going to be thrilled to find someone who has so much in common with you and seems to take so much interest in you. So yeah, that broken picker thing, I think is not not at all fair. What it comes down to is in the end is when the truth starts coming out, how can we protect ourselves sooner? How can we, um, it's hard for a lot of people who've been through this to balance between Am I being hyper vigilant or am I, you know, seeing something that's actually not fair or not okay? And I think that the more time we spend with trustworthy people, not people who are digging into your boundaries and trying everything they can to violate them, that kind of stuff, the more we realize, okay, this feels okay. And even if that means spending some time on our own for a while, sometimes that's just what we need to do to get that baseline set. It's not something where we need to try to jump into another relationship to heal ourselves. That also doesn't usually end well. Right. And also, I love that concept you wrote about in Psychopathy about the constant, you know, having that person in your life, or maybe there's no one in your life for a lot of people that happens, but they have a pet that gives them that unconditional love and someone or something like that to compare with the new people that you're meeting and recognize like how you feel in these relationships or this relationship compared to how you feel with this person. Exactly. And then that inner gauge just starts to get restored and you learn to trust yourself again. You learn to listen when other people are saying things or acting in certain ways. Like I put in the book, I mean, my boundaries used to be just garbage and I don't mean to be unkind to myself, but like I would sometimes hear people say the words come out of their mouths, like I'm a bad person or I'm a mean person. And my reaction wouldn't be to like say, oh, well, when it's your clear, I would say, oh, no, you're not. And you know, we can, we can figure this out and all that. And in hindsight, it's better to just really let people say their thing and probably know that you'd be next in line if that's how they're treating other people. Most people don't selectively treat some people well in their lives and other people badly. Right. 
I think that's key. Like walking into new relationships, whether it's intimate, friends, work, whatever, with zero expectations because people will reveal themselves. And you'll see sooner or later, even the most covert types are going to eventually reveal themselves. But having no expectations is really helpful to see that person for who they are as they reveal themselves. Exactly. Yeah, 100% agreed. So, you know, you were talking too about the numbness in this article about how, you know, after the abuse, we end up developing almost like this this numbness. Could you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so you've had some amazing videos on complex PTSD. And I think this is also touching on a similar subject is that when we find that our bodies and minds are not feeling the same as they were before the relationship, a lot of times people move on and they'll be like, I know my story, I know what happened, I can repeat it with like perfect crystal clear detail, but I still feel like a different person from before the abuse. And that's not to say that we don't want to learn our lessons and we don't want to come out of it with some new knowledge. But when you're saying you feel like a different person, like the old person was cheerful and happy and the new person is paranoid and alone and more isolated, those are really where those those words kind of resonate with me because I think a lot of times those go hand in hand with sensations that are going on in the body. So I really encourage people to look at their heart, their core, their stomach, even their throat, and, and really do body scans to figure out what's going on in here. Did I maybe absorb something from this experience or from my childhood that I wasn't aware of, but maybe my body was? And and it decided that I, I don't really know how to deal with this right now, but it's really bad for me. And um, you think about the body as a survival mechanism, it's kind of smart. It may just decide that it's going to numb that out. And suddenly, you don't necessarily have a horrible feeling or an unbearable feeling, but you have maybe a tension or a heaviness or a tightness or a numbness that wasn't always there. And you start to find a lot of corresponding behavioral changes too. Yeah, I love the way you described it, that feeling in your heart that you were feeling. For me, it was like this gnawing feeling in my body, like something was just gnawing at me, but it was so low grade because it had been numbed out that I was able to stuff it away on the daily and just go on like nothing was happening until I couldn't any longer. And I think that's really challenging for people is once it gets so numbed out because it was so overwhelming and you can't selectively numb emotions like we can't just numb the bad stuff and like leave the good (laughs) it just all gets off or on so once it's been numbed out it's really hard to reconnect with that and I agree totally with you about connecting with the body because the body doesn't lie it's going to reveal that stuff and if we can reconnect our mind and body and find like, where is it located in the body? What sensations are coming? It's like catching a thread on a sweater and just starting to rip it. And it starts to unravel a lot more after that. Exactly. And the body, I mean, when you, like you said, you can't numb out selective things. And so there's a lot of important things there too, like, you know, our ability to fully love and attach in a healthy way, our ability to sense when something is off or there's danger in the midst. Like if we're numbing things out or if we're on constant hyper alert, having an alarm that's ringing 24 seven isn't helpful because you don't really know when there's actually a fire. And so when we get back in touch with our body and what it's trying to tell us, I think there's a lot of really important and lifelong messages that are waiting for us. And I also, my perspective when you know those frustrating things in life kept happening, it used to be much more of like a why this bad or unfair thing is happening to me? Why does this keep happening? And that started to shift towards, I think I'm being given opportunities here because something is trying to get me back in touch with what's going on in my body because every time it happened, the numbness would lose its 
grip over me a little bit and it would feel a little worse and a little worse until eventually what was actually going on in there came out. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Redirecting towards like, what's the lesson here? Instead of like staying in that victim mentality of why does this keep happening to me? Shifting into the empowerment. Okay, what's the lesson? What am I trying to learn? I want to pass this class so I don't keep repeating this damn lesson. (laughs) Exactly. That's such a perfect way to put it. So you were also talking about in this article, and it sounds like it's coming in your book as well, about the reconnection, the shame and the numbness and these emotional wounds and pain coming from our ego mind, which is kind of limited to a certain view of, say, separation and disconnection and shifting into states of connection for healing. Would you comment on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned like trauma being a fracturing, and I I just totally agree with that view of it, because especially with emotional trauma, when we go through an experience, again, whether it be a relationship or a lot earlier on in life where we have a rejection or abandonment or a betrayal, while we do realize something that happened with the other person, we also tend to absorb messages about ourselves because of that. And so, for example, if someone like with narcissistic relationships who you fall in love with then cheats on you and replaces you with someone else, waves that person in your face, while we might feel angry and we might you know, try to compare ourselves or whatever, a, a big thing that we also may absorb is a huge sense of inadequacy. Why This person's better than me. I'm not enough and, and, and I won't be enough. And that in my future relationships, I'm going to have to try extra hard. I have to prove myself to the world and show that I am enough. And those are the kinds of messages, whether they be inadequacy or um, I'm alone and no one will love me or I'm worthless. Those are the things that disconnect us um, from that sense of wholeness. Whatever your spiritual or psychological beliefs might be, if there is this wonderful life force running through all of us, when we absorb a message that is that heavy and that negative about ourselves and such a negative self-concept, we disconnect from that life force because who we really are, which is that, has been incorrectly redefined and and we've taken on this new concept of ourselves so that you said it's the ego other people call it the false self whatever it may be it's not who we really are and we're really trying to disprove that pain and people do it in so many different ways whether it be by perfectionism or tons of accomplishments or codependency and taking care of others to give ourselves a sense of uh, self-worth no matter what we're operating from a place of disconnection we're operating from a place that says something about me is defective because I have lost that connection and maybe I don't know how to get it back. I think that's why transpersonal experiences are so healing because it's like they catapult us into that spontaneous state of connection. You know, like they've done studies discovering that we can't heal trauma just by talking about it. Talk therapy can be helpful because you need to vent, you need to like get somebody's feedback, you need some validation, but talking itself won't heal it. We actually have to shift beyond that. I think that's why some people find a lot of success with EMDR. Personally, I ended up going for acupuncture, energy work, and psychedelic medicines to get myself into that state. Can you tell us a little about some of the practices that you use to get yourself into that connection state? Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think the talk therapy is so important in the beginning stages to understand what happened. Eventually, though, we almost start to feel like we're repeating ourselves, but not feeling like maybe we're making progress. And that connection and attachment to the story, no matter how many times we can tell it, sometimes just doesn't, it almost feels like the mind keeps going a million miles an hour, which contributes to that numbness in the body. Maybe we analyze and understand everything, but we still don't feel right. 
where I got involved with the body side was actually from a book my mom gave me. She has always tried to help me with when I mentioned the tight feeling in my chest. She's like, oh, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. She's a really just like an amazing person. She's into all sorts of natural things and I'm an amazing yoga instructor and stuff. Oh. And so I'm, I've always been a, like a man of science, very agnostic. And I was like, no, like I, I don't hurt anymore. I'm, I'm fine. Like mentally, everything is fine. And she handed me this book and she was like, it was on mindfulness. And I was like, mom, it's not a mind issue. It's like something tight in my body. And no matter what I do, it doesn't change. And she's like, can you just like look at the page I bookmarked? I was like, okay. And so I opened the page and it's a book written by Tara Brock, who's a psychologist and a PhD. And she also does a lot of the Buddhism, psychological, spiritual connection. And the page was all these chapters about this woman and another person who had these tight, uncomfortable feelings in their chests wow. after difficult experiences in their life. And I was like, well, okay, it's going to be hard to discount this one. And um, as I read through about those patients and their experiences, it suddenly made a lot of sense to me that even though I thought like from the mind standpoint that I understood everything about my story and it was in the past, I never thought about it anymore. So technically everything in the mind was fine but then I started seeing a lot of patterns in my life a lot of isolation time in my own head with my stories and imaginary characters with my stories and time with my music and I realized that something had changed and I didn't know what it was but the approach in this book was with mindfulness meditations and as resistant as I was to the idea at first that was ultimately what reconnected me with my body and also helped me eventually release it. What was the name of the book? It's called True Refuge by Tara Brock. Awesome. Thanks for sharing Whereas that. My family always accidentally calls it True Refugee, but it's not about <laughs> refugees. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you're also writing about remembering who you are as part of the healing process and part of healing that emotional pain. Can you comment a little bit on that? Yeah, for the non-spiritual crowd, they can probably tune this out because they'll just be rolling their eyes and that's fine. But I think that all of us have a connection with one another and with that life force that we talked about. And when we realize that that's who we are, that's when I, I feel that body, mind, spirit just like surging and reconnecting. And you can, for me, I felt it in my body, all of that tightness and dread and heaviness that was in my heart turned into this super light dissolving feeling and it wasn't something where I felt you know like I was losing my mind or anything I still had my psychology and my personality but that connection that happened again it you just realize all of a sudden that these rejections or you know these betrayals that maybe we fear or whatever even if they happen they have nothing to do with us and maybe there's that nagging doubt that someone carries well, maybe it is all my fault and Maybe I really am the one to blame and I'm, I'm the crazy one. And the awesome thing with mindfulness is that it lets you sit with those deepest fears that you have about yourself. And you say to yourself, even if this is true, even if my worst fear about myself is true, what happens if I experiment with letting it go? And it's really that simple. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your new book that's coming out next month? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Whole Again, and Psychopath Free 
largely focused on the perpetrator, so the psychopath or the sociopath or the narcissist in your life, and um, identifying the signs and also, especially in the healing process, how difficult and frustrating that can be. And um, Whole, again, is really focused on you. It does, uh, it discusses still some about the disorders and the relationships, but it also approaches it for people who have dealt with complex PTSD or codependency or perfectionism, even if you haven't found yourself in one of those relationships. And um, it follows a lot of the process that you and I have talked about today. So first step, just identifying maybe those distractions in our lives that keep us from our body, eventually getting in touch with the body and what's going on with that, even if it's just sitting with numbness or something that's like not doing anything for a while, that's totally fine. And eventually getting in touch with that sensation of core shame that you and I talked about earlier and experimenting with ways to release it because I strongly believe that there is no one right way for anyone to heal from this stuff. I think everyone has so many different paths that they can get to to feel better and to find that wholeness. And so this book is sort of like the rapid fire shotgun approach. I'm like, how about this? How about that? And my hope is that something will resonate with you. It, it came from thousands of discussions with people who had gone through toxic relationships with narcissists or sociopaths or borderline. It came from discussions with people who had borderline themselves and narcissism themselves, along with codependency and complex PTSD. That's awesome. So that's coming out January 8th, I think. I keep forgetting this. I, my publisher must be like, Jackson. <laughs> it's January 8th or January 18th or 14th or something like that. Okay. But people yeah. can find it on Amazon, right? That's the best place to get it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's totally available for pre-order and stuff like that. So yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to read that book. And after I read it, maybe we should have another one of these interviews. We can talk more about the book or the healing process. Maybe people want to leave some comments below to further explore the things that we've talked about today so that we can do another interview on that. Well, it has been a pleasure to have you here today, Jackson. Thank you so much for your time and energy for writing these books. Like, I have no doubt this book is going to be just as amazing, if not even more, than Psychopath Free because it was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Meredith. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. You're been, you just help a ton of people. So it's an honor to be here. Speaking of YouTube, you have a YouTube channel, right? Is it called Psychopath Free? Yeah, it is. And I, that reminds me, I'm going to try to update it more often. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys should check out Psychopath Free. Be sure you subscribe. He has two videos there talking about the book and about these core wounds. And then you have a couple more videos, I think, too, on the topic of healing after narcissistic abuse. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jackson. I'm sending you and everybody else a big hug. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough. You matter and you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. 
Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.